Welcome to the Navigating Disruption Podcast. I'm your host, Shaquille Barmel. I'm the CEO of Ocean Blue Strategic and partner with The Summit Group. I'm a coach, consultant, and speaker, and I help leaders, entrepreneurs, and sales professionals make an impact through improved performance. In this podcast, I share insights and interviews with interesting leaders to define practical lessons that you can use to make an impact in the face of uncertainty. We are proud to be brought to you by The Summit Group. We help companies increase revenue and deepen customer relationships by moving from sales excellence to authentic business relevance through engaging learning experiences. I first realized in second year university that organizational behavior and leadership were going to be part of my career. But back in the 90s, I didn't know what that would be. Well, it's taken 30 years to achieve the dream, but I have. And in this conversation, I speak with the person that helped me find this path just two years ago. Dr. Martha Maznevsky is a professor of organizational behavior and faculty co-director of executive education at the Ivy Business School. As a leadership coach with the Ivy Academy, I am working with Martha and a team of seasoned coaches and professors that are committed to elevating the practice of leadership to help their organizations to thrive through the volatile and uncertain times ahead. We talk about how she discovered her calling and a few of the leadership ideas she is learning about and teaching. Enjoy the conversation. Good morning, Martha. How are you today? I'm great. How are you, Shaquille? I'm really great. You're in London, Ontario. I am. Yeah. How's the weather there? It's rainy and cold today, but at least I don't see any snow outside. Oh, okay. And it's starting to get just a little hint of green in the oh, trees. Oh, good. Just, well, we're, yeah. we're hearing about snow coming today again, which is odd because yeah. I thought we were done. I really yeah, thought we no, were done. No, us too. It's, yeah. Okay. But well, not to stay. Not to stay. Yeah, that, yeah, that's the idea. Martha, this is like a conversation. It's going to sound like an exaggeration, but it's kind of like a conversation I've been waiting my whole life for uh, a little <laughs> bit. And it sounds, it sounds like puffery, but let me just get back into it a little bit. We met in a 15-minute conversation, mm. I think the end of 2018. Yeah, that, that sounds about right. I still can picture myself sitting in my office at my old job, and we had this connection, and I remember looking out the window as we were talking. And I'm not going to get into the details of that conversation now. Maybe they will come up a little later, but I just want to say that you know I'm here to talk about your pivotal moments, but let me just say that that was a pivotal moment for me, a 15-minute conversation that kind of opened the doors to a whole new world and opened the doors to a relationship with another person that, honestly, Martha, I feel like I've known you for much longer than two and a half years that we've known each other. Yeah. And so it's a real privilege to kind of have you. I'll call you in my life and working with you a little bit these days and uh, having this conversation. Well, thank you. So I do remember that moment and I feel the same way, Shaquille. I I actually feel like we've known each other a lot longer. So something in our paths made us connect and and resonate with that when we did meet. And I remember being really excited about that conversation and also thinking, don't push. Mm. Right. It, mm-hmm. Because if this guy would be amazing for us to mm-hmm. work with, and it would be so exciting in so many ways, but it's got to be his decision. Mm-hmm. Because if it's not, then it's not the right thing mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. anybody. 
So I don't know if you remember that, but I backed I totally off a, a bunch of times. I just said, I'm going to present some information to you to help you make the right decision for you. But behind the scenes, I was hoping that this is where it was going to go. <laughs> I totally remember that. The, the way I, I visualize it and describe it is that this is a phone conversation, but I literally felt you stepping away. Yeah. And I, <laughs> yeah. And I felt it and I yeah. felt it. And it's funny. It's like, what a lesson in life, right? And a lesson in coaching, which is something we, yeah. we, we're focused yeah. on these days is if you push into somebody, you're likely going to push them away. But if you pull away from them, you're drawing them out. Well, or you might not push them away. In fact, and I think this is what I've learned is uh, over the years is if you push them in, you might get them in, but it's for the wrong reasons. Mm. And, and then they've got certain expectations of the relationship in your, in my case, what I'm going to be providing to you and what our relationship is. And that's not a sustainable, healthy learning relationship. Absolutely. So wow. stepping back and just trusting that the right things are going to pop up. We didn't waste any time offering value to our to the listeners here. That was a really <laughs> wonderful moment of wisdom that will make it into my summary, I'm sure. Okay. Uh, so Let's kind of get rid of the mystery for, for the listeners. Mm. Tell me, how do you describe yourself? Obviously, this is the formal definition, but <laughs> beyond that, how do you describe what you are and what you do? I'm a professor of organizational behavior and a faculty co-director of executive education at Ivy Business School in okay. Canada. That, that's out <laughs> um, of the way that's, now. That's, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's the formal thing. So being a professor is a really important part of my identity because it's about putting learning first. So I'm a professional learner. My job is to learn. So I was at a school called IMD in Switzerland for 15 mm. years, and most people have probably never heard of it. It's a very, very niche, very small school that focuses almost entirely on executive education. Mm -hmm. So it's not part of a university or anything, but it is the number one, two, or three in the world executive education school. So mm. if you know executive education, you know IMD. And what I loved about it was how global it was. So I worked all over the world with people in all walks of life. And it was fascinating. But I remember when I was there one night sitting at the dinner table with the kids, one of them was saying, well, what, mom, what do you actually do? Somebody asked me, what do you do? I don't know. She's a professor. Well, what does that do? And my other daughter said, well, she teaches people things they don't know. And I said, well, actually, that's not true because I work with people who are really experienced and who know a lot of stuff. So for the most part, I'm teaching them things they already know. Mm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. They're like, Okay. And what we finally, as a family, the definition we finally came to of mom's job is mom helps people understand what they already know so they can use it better to make things better. Oh, what a great. Isn't that a great That must have been a proud moment for you to yeah. hear, the, hear, your, yeah. hear your child say that. That yeah. is amazing. Yeah. Here's the other interesting thing. Yeah. Somehow that's valuable enough that you can make a career and a living off of that. Yeah. Somehow it's a skill set that helps people enough that companies are willing to pay for it, and which I find kind of strange, but also encouraging. Yeah. So I know that was a wonderful description overview. I know there'll be many people saying, uh, so what does that mean you do? Like, what is your, what is <laughs> a your day look like? What is a day? Well, probably more like what does a month look like? Yeah. Because I probably know two days are the same, but what is the, what does the job look like? Yeah. It's about half teaching and half I'm going to call it learning. Traditionally, as a professor, you would call it teaching and research. 
for me, it's all learning. It's a, they're all different pieces of the same thing. And so about half the time is directly helping other people learn stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and half the time is focusing on me learning the kinds of things that are important for all of us to know and kind of digging deeper onto that. Mm -hmm. So a typical month would look like a lot of classes. And typically the heuristic is a, a, an hour in the class is at least two hours of preparation. Mm -hmm. So, and in COVID, it's a lot more than that. I'll mm -hmm. tell you, because there's a whole video production and technology production. And then mm -hmm. the rest of the time is conversations about research. I'm working on two big projects right now, one related to lateral collaboration in organizations. Mm. So for example, if you're in a matrix organization mm. and you're leading across the matrix, how do you get that group to be a team? Yeah. Okay. When you're not their boss. Yeah. And they've all so got powerful. other bosses, right? So how do you get them to want to be a team with each other and collaborate? Yeah. And then the other big project is looking at the relationship between diversity and performance in teams. Hmm. Oh, all such timely, yeah. important topics. I mean, they're timeless topics, but yeah. also very, very timely and important uh, right yeah. now is yeah. organizations are in flux, reporting relationships are in flux using gig workers and contractors and all sorts of different things, building that lateral collaboration is really, really powerful. And of course, finding not only is diversity and inclusion, uh, equity, diversity, inclusion, right, just right <laughs> thing to do, but you're getting into how does it actually help businesses move forward and, yeah. and improve. Yeah. And individuals. Ah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. so it's such interesting. Yeah, so no, it's great. Is it simplest, too simplistic to say, you learn in a very specific area and explore and integrate that knowledge in order to help other people grow, yes. develop, basically? Yes, yes. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. And I can't remember if you've talked about motivation factor on the podcast before, but my very, very first motivation factor workshop working with Hella, I developed the purpose statement that I realized I'd been living most of my life. Hmm. And, you know, I look at it every year and has it changed and it hasn't, right? And so the purpose statement, the one that gets me going every morning is to connect people through learning experiences to make ourselves and the world better. Oh, I love it. Clean, simple, powerful, amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I have talked about motivation factor okay. in the yeah. past. I can't remember in what episode, but if any of my listeners want to learn more, you know where to find me, reach out. We'll have a conversation about motivation factor. It's pretty cool. So Martha, how does somebody discover and find this professional path? Like, <laughs> It's not an obvious one, is it? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I'm going to ask, ask that question in a specific way because you know about my keen interest in mm -hmm. the linkage between our early life and what we do now. So if you could, if there's anything in your early experience, adolescence, childhood, early career that was the prompt for you doing this with your life? Is there a story? You yeah. And I think it's more a gradual mm -hmm. set of things rather than any one thing. Both of my parents are teachers uh, mm -hmm. and my father was a high school English teacher and then principal for most of his mm. career and just deeply love learning. So I think mm. highly curious always. And my mother too was elementary school teacher until mm. she became pregnant with me and she stayed at home after that. But both of my parents are always learning things, even mm. now in their mid eighties, my mom does a lot of weaving and she has her computerized programs on the, for the loom that tell her how to do the weaving and manage the looming for her. Mm. And she's 86. My dad's Amazing. doing the same with a lot of other hobbies of his. So it's, they're both always learning. So I think there was that 
high school principals don't make a lot of money. So we were comfortable, but not uh, wealthy. So we did a lot of camping. And again, there was just always new things to explore. And I love that. So I think that was more, but there was also the, always the importance of making a difference, right? So learning Mm. and making a difference. And that was always very important to me too. And when I was in undergraduate, my professors encouraged me to go on to become a professor. And I completely rejected it because mm. I looked at what they were doing and it wasn't making a difference to anybody other than their students. Mm. And that wasn't enough in, in your it eyes. It wasn't enough wasn't for enough. me. Yeah, it yeah. was enough for them. It wasn't enough for me. So yeah. I became a teacher, yeah. right? uh-huh. an elementary school teacher, as I was always going to do. And you I know, was Martha, so- I did not know that. I, I went to your <laughs> LinkedIn profile and I noticed <laughs> just- Bachelor of Education. And of course, you don't go that far back in your professional experience. I can't believe it. I mean, it makes so much sense. I taught sense kindergarten you know. to grade six. Wow. Grade amazing. eight, actually. Kindergarten to grade eight. Yeah. Gosh. And no, seriously, all my life, I was going to be a teacher. I never questioned that ever. I, yeah. I'll grow, I love learning. I love yeah. it. My parents are teachers. I'm going to, it was never, and I like working with kids. So it was always going to be a teacher. And I did it for all of six months and I was bored stiff. And so I immediately started looking for other things. And mm. I have so much respect for teachers. It wasn't that I didn't like the teaching. I just, I wasn't learning enough. Mm-hmm. That's what I finally realized. Mm-hmm. And that's when I realized that it's, it's learning that drives me, not teaching. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess it's because uh. when you're teaching elementary school, you've got a curriculum and you're going to get better and better over time teaching that curriculum and yeah. incrementally improving it. But yeah. your role is not out there seeking new knowledge exactly. on the cutting yeah. edge, right? Yeah. And the kids, like once you've taught grade three social sciences a couple of times, just... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> You're not, it, it, you can have great conversations with them, but it's not the same. Just so, no, I love my colleagues. I love it, but I married one of my colleagues, but, okay. <laughs> <laughs> who's the best teacher I've ever met. He's amazing wow. at teaching. I learned so much from him, but it, it wasn't for me. But the other part of that story, my, my parents would have made great, great communists from each according to their ability to each according to their need deeply, not the political communists, but the really deep social communists. And business was absolutely a four-letter word. It was Mm. nasty. Business is evil in my household growing Mm. up. So I never considered it. But when I was bored with teaching and all my friends were having fun with their business jobs, I decided to do an MBA. And I went to what is now Ivy to do an MBA. I wanted to do international business. And the only two places in North America for international business were that were really good were basically Ivy and Wharton, the Wharton mm-hmm. Lauder School. And Lauder was a lot more expensive. Yeah. So I went to Ivy and discovered that business is not evil. Yeah. Well, what's mm-hmm. interesting is I just want to, you went over it very quickly, but mm-hmm. I just want to take a pause for a moment and say that your initial inspiration, motivation to go into business, to go get your MBA was seeing how much fun your friends were having yeah. and how well they were doing in business. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And not financially well, but yeah. learn it like doing yeah. cool new stuff. They were always learning. Right. Yeah. And, and I yeah. wasn't. Yeah. yeah. Well, the reason yeah. I'm living there is that oftentimes we're taught and raised to believe is don't look at the grass on the other side because the grass is always greener. Mm. Don't try to be what your friends are. Just be your own path. But in this case, that sparked the beginning of your own journey. That's a great point. And I guess it's what are you looking at on the other side, right? If I was looking at how much money they were making, I would be worried about that. But they were really, they, I I value learning and they were learning. Yeah. And they were learning about cool stuff. Yeah. 
Awesome. Great. Well, thank you. That's yeah. so no, then, that's so point. you do the MBA and then was it an automatic from there to go? Do well, actually, so I got in, I got into the MBA and the, the, this, the world changed for me mm. because I found out that businesses do businesses connect things right mm. in really interesting ways and mm. businesses apply research and development and businesses help people, not all of them. And, you know, but there are so many opportunities there. And I really started to see business as the nexus of where learning and helping can come together. Mm. It's not the only nexus, of course. And I still, yeah. as you know, I do a lot of work with NGOs and, and government organizations and things like that. But I got excited about the opportunities in business to be entrepreneurial yeah. and to really make a difference with your own values. So I, I never finished the MBA. <laughs> Oh, you didn't know. <laughs> no. <laughs> so if you look at my LinkedIn, it doesn't say that yeah, I have an MBA. I was curious. I, yeah, yeah. yeah, no, I I had so much fun in the first, it was when the MBA was two years yeah. and I had so much fun and I was enjoying it so much. And my professors asked me to switch into the PhD program. Oh. And I, I remember the conversation. It was my organizational behavior professor suggested that I would really enjoy the PhD program and would do well in it. And I remember asking him, I said, wait, wait a minute, you mean... I can have a career that's teaching, learning, business, international, all in one. Hmm. And he said, yeah. And I was like, well, sign me up. And I'm there. So Martha, that was the moment. That, yeah, that, that was, that, yeah. That yeah. was the moment. And that yeah. was the person. I'm still in touch with him. You know, coming back to Ivy, I've talked with him several times. It's Jeff Gantz, right? From okay, Character. Yeah. Sure. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. And it just, you know, it just really does go to remind us that there usually isn't just one moment. There's right. a number of things that happen that lead up to it. You have to be in the right place mentally. You've had to have the right experiences. But it's about when that opportunity strikes, you have to you know be open for it. You got to be open for it. Absolutely. Yeah. That's a great yeah. story. Yeah. Gosh, yeah. I, look, <laughs> I actually, I look at uh, Professor Gantz in a whole new way now, just because yeah. of that story. Remarkable. <laughs> I often talk about ripple effects and that's the logo for my coaching business. Mm. And so that's a wonderful way to think about the role that he played is he, that was a moment that created ripple. And then you went on to help other people, including yeah. a 15 minute conversation with me. Yeah. Which has now led to me working with other people. And it's yeah. a really great way of thinking about the world yeah. and business. You just describe business as an, the ability to create those ripples, I think. Those ripples. Yeah. 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 And it reminds me of one, one of the other professors that had an enormous impact on me while I was doing my PhD, my, my supervisor, Joe DiStefano, he just did so much for me during the program. Right? And I remember at one point asking him, I can never pay this back. Mm. Right. There's not even any point in having a conversation of how do I help you back? And he just looked at me and said, pass it on. Mm -hmm. And that's another moment. So, so of, of a ripple effect moment, right? Mm -hmm. It's that moment is also always with me, the pass mm -hmm. it on. I know this is going off on a tangent, but this whole pay it forward. Yeah thing. I resist it because it's still very transactional, mm -hmm. right? Pay it forward means you're expecting to get it back at mm -hmm. some point. Between Jeff Gantz and the, here's an opportunity, are you ready for it? And Joe's pass it on. We create opportunities for other people. Mm, absolutely. I don't think I've ever really talked about this on this podcast, but the name of the podcast, the Navigating Disruption yeah. podcast, the whole premise behind it is with my belief in the importance of us all creating ripples, all being drops in the water to create mm. ripples, 
and looking at the world we're living in right now, which is really rocky, volatile. We talk about VUCA. We talk about yeah. uncertainty, complexity. And I envision it like really rocky waters, right? Lots yeah. of yeah. waves. Yep. And then the question becomes, if you are a person that wants to make ripples and make an impact, you can do that in calm waters because you can see the ripples. But how do you do that uh, when the waters wow. are rough? Wow. And so that's kind of oh, the whole beautiful. theme of this. That's oh, the whole it. theme of this. Yeah, so yeah. Now, now let me give you an example of how you have made an impact in the rough water. So I have a relationship with a former UN ambassador to the UN. His name is John McNee, Ambassador McNee. I got to work with him a little bit in my past career. I went on to become a coach and he went on to become a mentor to other ambassadors. Okay. That's what he's doing with his That's retirement. great. Yeah, good for him. So he follows my blog, and I haven't released one in a little while, but he follows my emails. And one time I sent, I wrote about your webinar where Hercules meets Buddha. Mm -hmm. And so he read my blog. He clicked through and watched your video of your webinar. And he reached out to all of the ambassadors working in foreign affairs that he mentors wow. and shared it with them. Wow. Because when all of this stuff happened, the pandemic happened, yeah. Yeah. think about the impact on the ambassadors that are working yeah. in all the oh, countries yeah. where Canada has interests. Yeah. Yeah. What are they going I did going think through, about that. Yeah. Right? Mm. And so he basically used that as a mechanism to drive conversations about oh, how they needed to behave as leaders during this difficult wow. time. Good. Good. And so that's just how you create ripples in rough waters is wow. that's something you did with that framework. Well, yeah, okay. It's something, but I didn't do it. It happened. Mm -hmm. But that's the drop. And so, yeah, how do we get those things to happen more systematically, I guess, is what yeah. you're saying. I think there's a fallacy in assuming there's a single cause, right? Right. That's true. Yeah. And I think we need to be humble about that because yeah. I, I actually think serendipity, it comes back to, are you open for the moments when they come? And my good friend at IMD, Bill Fisher, talked a lot about putting yourself in the flow of ideas, mm. right? So maybe part of it is how do you create the ripples, but also another part of your question is how do you put yourself in a place where the ripples are going to hit you? Nicely. That's a great image. Absolutely. Yeah. Because I'm sure that you can experience a ripple and then nothing happens. It's kind of kind of right. stops. But how yeah. do you put yourself in a position where you can actually do something with the impact you receive from others? Yeah. Ideas? And where you feel it in the first place. Yeah. Right. You know, you've got your sense of is the Hercules meets Buddha work. I I feel so humble about because I, you know, of everything I've done, it's the only thing that kind of came to me and I feel more like a vessel for that rather than something I did. Mm. So I, this is, I just, I, I get just pure joy mm. when I hear that it has helped people mm -hmm. and it's passed around and it's not a joy that comes from, I originated this it's I'm the messenger. So it's been really, really fun to. Well, to well let's talk about that. If you were to do, if you were to listen to all my episodes and were to do a word cloud with the words and all my episodes, Hercules and Buddha would probably be really big in the center of this workshop because I talk Good. about it all the time. Wow, it's amazing. And, huh? and sometimes yeah, it's too great. fast for me to mention your name. Sometimes I do. Sometimes I'm not able to. It's okay. But it has been really impactful for me. Good. You put words to 
um, a set of beliefs I've held for a long time about leadership. And it's given me a language to talk about it and share it with others. So I thank you. But it's very interesting to hear how you describe how you kind of went down that path a little bit. Can we go a little deeper? Because I'm very interested, you being a professor, being a learner, a Mm. professional, a teacher, I've, you know, studied Jim Collins and other people. And I'm so fascinated by the end is how do you take something you've learned and turn it into something that's teachable? Yes, that I think I will own a little bit more on this because that's kind of more where the work came in. But the ideas first, yeah. And it helped that I was at IMD. So working with literally tens of thousands of executives Mm -hmm. a year, right? Or 10,000 executives a year. So Hercules Mates Buddha came out of a book that some friends and I published in 2004. And we were, do you you have a minute for me to go back into that history? Yes, yes. Okay, because it's actually a fun story. So I by mistake, inadvertently, but fortunately, started a network of research colleagues back in 1999. I invited a bunch of people together to to my house who should have known each other, but didn't. Mm. And it turned into a research network that is still thriving with about 200 people. And it's done some really, really Mm. amazing work over the years. And one of the first things we did was write a book together. We were approached by a publisher in 1999 and asked to write a book about leading people through globalization. Okay. Now, and so we agreed. And we also agreed that unlike most academics, we were going to write this book as a cohesive project, dealing with the complexity the same way leaders would have to deal with it. Hmm. The way most academics write books is there's separate chapters, and then you staple the chapters together and you write an introduction and conclusion. And Hmm. that's the book. And we Hmm. decided we were going to try and have one voice through it, one Hmm. set of themes through it, because that's what leaders had to do. And of course, that takes forever. And we're academics, so we really took forever. And as we were doing this, 9-11 happened, Enron happened. Well, not in that order. So dot-com bubble, Enron, 9-11. And after 9-11, and I don't know how old you were then, but I'm sure you were. I was was well into my consulting career. Okay, all right. (laughs) Thank you, though. Thank you, though. (laughs) I just just finished my uh, MBA, actually, two years prior to that. Right, Uh, yeah, I knew that. Right, of course, yeah. So, So you remember then that the world at that time stopped and said, maybe there's not going to be globalization after all, mm-hmm. right? We're going to have regionalization. We're not going to have globalization mm-hmm. and huge uncertainty mm-hmm. in the world, right? And yeah. I think a lot of people forget now yeah. what, like, do you remember? We couldn't fly. We didn't, no, you know, I, was, I didn't fly home for Christmas. I was actually on a consulting project in downtown Chicago, in the Chicago Mer- Mercantile Exchange and everything locked down. Like yeah. we couldn't get, we couldn't get back home. We were stuck. Right. We had to yeah. rent a car and drive for, uh, drive overnight to get back home. And then we were stuck at home and couldn't travel. Which, right. when you're in consulting and they tell you you can't travel for a little while, it's like on one hand, oh, you can't do great work, but on the other hand, well, it'd be nice to stay That's home it. for a little bit. <laughs> yeah. so, uh, and there wasn't Zoom the same way, so you couldn't. Uh, yeah, 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 no. And even a few months later, we had just moved to Switzerland. We moved in June, and that of course happened in September. So you know, our first Christmas. We didn't because that Christmas, you know, is it going to happen yeah. again? Right. So I think people now forget that mm-hmm. even though COVID has been going on for longer than the impact of 9-11, mm-hmm. there were some parallels. Absolutely. So for this book, we thought we're going to look pretty silly if we write a book on how to lead people in globalization and it doesn't happen. So we went out and interviewed each of us interviewed a bunch of leaders about mm-hmm. what does globalization mean to you? 
And we got lots of answers. But at the time in the in international business, globalization was defined by things like how many, where are your suppliers? Where are your customers? How many mm. international brands do you have? Things like that. And where do you get your financing from? Mm. And when we interviewed people, we got quite a different set of answers. So we got a lot of different answers, but there was one answer we got in common from everybody. We interviewed like 150 people all over the world. And the answer we got in common from everybody was globalization means I'm exhausted. Hmm. Okay. Like the yeah. first 10 times you hear it, you kind of say, well, come on, yeah. tell me something I don't know. We're all exhausted. Yeah. Give me a break. Yeah. Right. The next 10 times you hear it, you kind of go, yeah, okay. So tell me something I haven't heard. Yeah. But when you hear it 30 times, 40 times, 50 times, you start to say, what's going on? So we, as and now this is what academics should do, right, is step back and say, what's going on? Hmm. Okay. Let's dig under this. And try. And what we started to do was define globalization as complexity. Mm. And what we started to see was whether or not we go to regionalization or whatever, leaders are dealing with much more complexity in their minds right now than ever mm -hmm. before. And dealing with complexity, they're trying to manage complexity by leading harder. Yeah, I, I remember that. I do absolutely remember that. Right. Yeah, for sure. And and so so there's so much complexity. You try and control it. Yeah. And what we were, you know, and, and I remember the conversations in Boston, and it was Harry Lane and, and Mark Mendenhall and me, and we were sitting in a room while everybody else was working on their different chapters, and we were looking at the relationships between all the chapters mm -hmm. and trying to figure it out with everybody. And they're just leaders are working too hard. Mm -hmm. because it's impossible. It's pushing that rock up the hill and it's like they're being Hercules all the time. And yeah, and they gotta be some Buddha too. Yeah. And that okay. was it. It was that kind was of, it. they need Hercules and Buddha. And how do you bring the two together? So yeah. that was- So, so that, it was a quick, it was actually, I mean, obviously the research and the discussion, all that was taking some time and a lot of work, but just the idea of Hercules and then Buddha popping into your brain as the opposite just happened in a moment? Is yeah. that? Yeah, it, it was just, it was one conversation, but it was a conversation that had a lot of pre-conversations. That's yes, And, and yes. it was really, and, and what I love about it too, it was triggered by this question of globalization means I'm exhausted. Hmm. And us really paying attention to what is that saying about, the patterns that leaders are of what leaders are facing right now. Yeah. Wow. And so they're yeah. exhausted because they're being Hercules. Yeah. The kind of the response to that, or let's call it the soothing aspect of that needs to be, well, you need to spend some time being Buddha as well. Yeah. Yeah. As well, because you as do well, need yeah. the Hercules and that led to as the well. Whole... Right. Yeah. 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 Wow. And then, and then the three of us really started to pull to, to take that further. Okay, what mm -hmm. does that actually mean? What does it mean to be Hercules about a few things? What does it mean to, and then, yeah, we just started, but here's the other funny thing about that story. So, so I started talking with managers about it at that point, mm -hmm. complexity, Hercules, Buddha, and they all said, blah, 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 you academics, this is completely irrelevant. This mm -hmm. is a nice thing for a glass of wine over dinner, but tell me something practical. So we actually put it to bed for years. It became something interesting that we talked about among ourselves, but no managers ever wanted to talk about Hercules, mm. Buddha, and complexity. And when did it come okay. back out? Financial crisis. Okay. You know, I remember standing again in the middle of a group of managers in late 2008, early 2009, probably early 2009, and they were struggling with not being able to control. 
And I just said, just in the middle of this group over dinner or something, I just said, well, that's because you're being too much Hercules. You need to bring in some Buddha. And they're like, what? And suddenly in that environment, the message landed. Hmm. Wow. Uh, so that's mm. when it really evolved. And then I started really working with groups of managers, individual managers. Somebody would say, oh, that's really helping me. That really helps me understand what are these two voices that are talking yeah. with me. Tell me more. And then we would engage in conversations around it. And this is where the how do you teach it came out. It was working with some individual leaders who really found it useful and helpful. And then uh, in dialogue with them, them telling me why it was helpful. Oh, I've had so many good conversations, CEOs, heads of all kinds of different things, different functions, and then Buddhist practitioners uh, and scholars and psychologists, deep psychologists looking at Jungian or mm -hmm. cognitive ways. So it's a metaphor that every time I have a conversation with somebody, they tell me more about what it means to them. And that mm. gets pulled into the conversation. Mm -hmm. This is why I say I'm kind of the messenger of mm -hmm. it. I, well, I believe uh, that we haven't explicitly, you and I talked about faith and it doesn't matter the faith part of it, but there is a belief that we're all here to serve a purpose. Yes. And yeah. uh, the inspiration sometimes comes from different places. For some, it's the divine they feel, but I see that kind of thread running through your experience in your life uh, yeah. as well. So when was that Hercules and Buddha conversation? What year was that? Just shortly after 9-11? Yeah, so the very first one was, yeah, yeah two, was 2001. I think it was February wow. 2002, actually. Wow. Yeah. So now we just fast forward to all the discussion, the talk about mindfulness, about the importance of meditation, the importance of the importance of managers being coaches yeah. and nurturing and leader character and the whole balance. So that really does remind me and hopefully reminds our listeners is the importance of research management thinking. Mm, yeah. Because that is actually, that's the kind of bank deposits that we make to prepare us for difficult times. Because you couldn't have just invented it in the moment of the financial crisis. There was years right. of work and thinking right. that went into it. And then it it hit the moment and it helped people. And again, you probably dusted it off again during the pandemic. I did actually. And I have strongly resisted doing it on video hmm. to be out there publicly. And I've strongly resisted. And well, I've tried writing it many times. And every time I write it, it comes out linear. Hmm. And that just doesn't work because it's a conversation. The, hmm. the value of it is how it helps leaders figure out their own mind. Absolutely. And, and me writing it down and telling them is not the value. Hmm. I keep saying I'm going to write it as a graphic novel, find a, an artist to do it as a graphic novel with me, which I think would work really well. I but I, would, yeah, yeah, I haven't done that yet. But no, it was COVID that made me find a way to agree to do it on video. Hmm. And if you watch the video, it, I did it in a conversation with Mark. Yes, I right. Because I said, yeah. if we can do this as a conversation, then I think it's you going through your Hercules and Buddha and kind of bringing in some other things. So I think we can do that. Yeah. So what I'll do is I'll just let listeners know that after you listen to this episode, go back to the episode description. I'll have a link to where you can watch the video there. So you can check out the full meat of the conversation. So that it triggers for me the conversation we had, the 15-minute conversation we had. Okay, good. Because what you've been talking about is a really good platform for what we are trying to do for leaders right now. 
So we talked in 2018, I was in a transition point in my career, looking for that next chapter, leaning heavily towards coaching, looking at coaching programs. I had gotten some advice to get a traditional kind of coaching certification. But then I stumbled into search engine ad, search engine marketing (laughs) for this program that Ivy Academy was launching. First time ever leadership insights for transformation program lift. And I was like, what? I've like, cause I'm Ivy grad. So it was like, what? I got to look into this, filled out the forms. I'm so glad you did. <laughs> filled out the forms, got the call back from somebody in inside sales and set up a conversation with one of our colleagues, Sharon. And that led me down a path. And then one of the, you called me next. Yes. Because I was stuck in this okay. decision point. If I'm going to be a coach, should I get the traditional fundamental kind of certification or should I do this thing, which is so much more interesting? <laughs> and so then we had this conversation. So in this conversation, you articulated to me, what was the vision and what were you trying to do? Mm. Would you share a little bit of what the impetus was and what the vision is for the Ivy Academy coaching community? I'm so excited about it. Thank you. The impetus, the vision is, so in my experience, if coaches are great learning professionals, so you've dug through this, mm-hmm. that I'm addicted to learning, right? Yeah. We got to help people learn and how, help people make ourselves and the world better through learning. Yeah. Coaches are really good at helping individuals learn about themselves. Executive education business schools are really good at helping leaders learn about what they should be doing and some things about themselves too at kind of a more generic level or an overall level. My experience at IMD in Switzerland is that when you bring those two together and you do them in parallel, Mm -hmm. it doesn't just multiply. It's like log scale. It goes, Mm -hmm. the learning is so turbocharged Mm -hmm. and it's so exciting. And to get there, you can't just take coaches plus executive education professors. You actually, you need coaches who work differently from how they would normally work in their businesses. And you need professors and executive education who work differently from the way they would normally do it. But it's so worth bringing those two together. When we did this at at IMD, we took more than 10 years to build the Mm. capabilities and the capacity. IMD and INSEAD, I would say, are the two schools that do this really well. And it took over 10 years to build that Mm. capacity. And I really saw a need in Canada for the outcome of this. The world needs more Canadian business. The world Mm. needs more Canadian leaders. Canada needs us not to be working harder, right? Not to be more Hercules, but to be solving our problems Mm. with the resources that we have by using them in ways that are more empowering. So if we can bring all these things together and build that capability faster, then we can make a difference faster. So building the cohort deliberately rather than just incidentally was a really important piece of that. Yeah. So you were did actually- that, Did I yeah, recapture no, some of I that? No, I think you did. I think you did. And where you got me in that moment when you described you, you described this to me and I was so excited about it. And I said, but I really want to do this. I'm very excited about it, but I feel like I probably still- should go get the basic certification first, because although I've been coaching in industry for a long time, I probably should do this. And then I don't know what it was. You did pull back. I probably talked about the diver. Yeah. Yeah. You did pull back and you said, you know what? I can see why you'd say that. And that was my Buddha. That was your Buddha. That (laughs) was probably a path you should explore. And then I said something 
I can't remember what led to it, but mm-hmm. then you slowly described the vision again, what you were yeah. trying to do. And that's when you had me because okay. you hit my why. Yeah. You, you found yeah. a way to connect to my why. You didn't do it intentionally. I, I don't yeah. think you did anyway, but <laughs> I, I discovered, like you said, oh, yeah. you pulled back. Yeah. I discovered my why. Yeah. yeah. Because when you started articulating what the vision was, I was then feeling like, that's what I want to do. Yeah. I'm not just going to be a coach to practice coaching. I want to be a coach to strengthen leadership in the most impactful way possible so that communities, societies, businesses, people thrive and we see the world change. And that was that moment when you brought me in. And then the first moment in class, when you started talking again about this, you had me and I'm in. No, I'm so glad. But and this is what I truly believe. Mm-hmm. And it's so exciting, right? With to watch people, and you've seen it already mm-hmm. now, right? In a few instances, when you bring together this, there's something about being in a learning environment that helps people open up, but then also connecting it with the real world, with their business, that with the coaching, right? Bringing mm-hmm. all of that together, and so you can create safe spaces to help push people a little bit further and finding their capabilities. And then I think probably the other thing that I really believe strongly that linked well with you is the importance of the coaches being a community. Yeah. So us being, and not just the coaches, but the learning professionals, being a community of learners together. And as a community of learners, we can't all be the same. Right. We need something to learn from each other. And I I was always really struck. So I ran the MBA program at IMD for for five years. And I loved our admissions policy, the way we articulated it. And I didn't invent it, so I can love it um, (laughs) and brag about it, right? Our admissions policy was, we do not admit the 90 best individuals. We admit the one best class. Ah, wow. Isn't that great? Yeah, that is great. And, you know, we kind of had a threshold of everybody needs to meet this threshold in terms of skills and scores on GMATs and, you know, all of that kind of stuff and experience levels. But beyond that threshold, you got into the class if, A, you had something to contribute that nobody else in the class was contributing And B, you demonstrated to us that you had the ability to help to tell that to others and to learn from others. Mm. That experience has really affected how I thought about this, the coaching cohort. Well, that's, you know, as you're saying that I'm looking at, we were just on a Zoom call with all the coaches uh, the other day. Yesterday, yeah. I can see the screen right now with all the different faces there. Yeah. And it makes so much sense now that you curated, cultivated. Yeah nurtured that particular group of people and yeah, yeah I did um, yeah it's amazing I mean it's and I would amazing. say that was kind of the most controversial just like that was where I got the most pushback yeah from a lot including from some of the coaches you know that yeah. person doesn't have this kind of experience right. and right. I would say yeah that's what I like about them yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but they've got the same spirit and the same values and together we are stronger with that person here. For sure. It's so interesting because one of the parts of the program, of course, was we went into the woods in uh, in BC between Squamish and Whistler. And uh, I remember, because I'm in this transition point in my career, and I was surrounded in the circle with like diverse, but experienced seasoned business leaders, coaches, mindfulness experts. And I was surrounded by this community of people that was kind of walking with me through this transitional journey. And so a lot of what I'm doing today, I give so much credit to the community 
And I, I got uh, goosebumps remarkable. when you explain that. Yes. It's remarkable. It's yeah. a remarkable group of yeah. people. And we've already been doing some great work. And I know that more great work is coming. Martha, I have to say, yeah. too, I partly like there is a selfish component to this. Yeah. What you just described, I love. Mm. Right. And I love my own learning journey. And my sure. own learning journey is really enriched to the extent that this community is there. And yeah, some of my most important personal experiences in, in the journey come from being able to have these conversations yeah. with a group of people, like you just said. So if we can build that, yeah. I love it. And I, particularly that whole idea of selfishness, I have definitely discovered is that I might have said I'm doing this and created the self-image of myself, that I'm a good person, being altruistic, wanting to help people. But I've really come to terms with the fact that, yes, that stuff is all true. I do want to help people. But essentially, the desire to help people actually comes from a very selfish place because I want to make an impact. I want to see the change in other people's lives and know that I had a part to play. So it also tells me that selfishness That's isn't okay. a negative word, but it's not no, a bad it's thing. Not. Yeah, no, if it, if it's, it you leads just got to be down aware a, of it, right? Exactly yeah. right. Exactly yeah. right. Yeah. Uh, wow, that was a fast hour. Yeah. <laughs> in the last just a couple of minutes, Martha, we have to leave our listeners with a thought, a reflection, something that you're seeing today that maybe is the cusp of the next piece of advice mm. that you might give leaders. Yeah, and I, I'm not gonna be very articulate about this, but it's interesting. So, so the three of us that kind of came to Hercules meets Buddha, yeah. we've started having exactly these conversations. We've gotten together a couple of times already to ask ourselves that, okay, we got Hercules meets Buddha because we were paying attention during a time when it was relevant, but then we were ready for the next one. So what should we be paying attention to now? And I think what we're, one of the things we're coming to is the importance of collaboration. Mm. That what Hercules meets Buddha was because the world is too complex for one person. Mm -hmm. So you need to control the things you can control and then empower the other things. Mm -hmm. We're now seeing that the world is too complex even for that. Mm -hmm. And so the next stage to add to that is to really, really build capacity in the collaborative, the collective. Mm. And I'm, I'm not quite sure how to articulate that yet, but really kind of it's paying attention, not to just to yourself, but to yourself, really building something that's interconnected itself so that it can do the equivalent of Hercules meets Buddha. Oh, I'm so excited about watching the journey of discovery as you take the You're going to be part of discussion. it. You're going to be part well, of it. Right? I, oh, open arms. I can't wait. I can't yeah. wait. Martha, thank you for taking a time. I know you've got a busy calendar and I'm grateful for this opportunity for Such talking. Such a pleasure. It was really fun. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, thank you. And, and I'm really glad that this is definitely not see you later. Goodbye. I'll probably talk right. to you on Tuesday. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> awesome. Exactly. Yeah, thank me you. too. Thanks. Thank you, Martha. Have a great day. Thanks. You too. Okay. Bye-bye. What a great conversation. Here's some takeaways that I'd like to offer you. The first one, right out of the gate, just at the beginning of the conversation, uh, we talked about how not to push people in your persuasion. When you want to bring somebody along and you want to engage them in an initiative or an idea, don't push them. Because if you do, you are, on one hand, likely to push them away. And if you don't push them away and you're actually able to get them in, it's quite possible you're going to bring them in for the wrong reasons and then potentially setting up the basis for an unhealthy relationship. Back off and let them find their own path. We talked about how Martha, as a learner, as a researcher, 
is the conduit for ideas. She doesn't take credit for the epiphanies that come to her, but she does take credit and takes ownership and responsibility for exploring those ideas, for researching them, and then sharing them with others in a way that will help them be more effective in their leadership. I love how she talked about her purpose and particularly what she is focused on now with the Ivy Academy to integrate leadership and learning, leadership education with coaching and self-reflection to have a log scale impact on leadership today. It's something she's witnessed happen in Europe, and she has embarked on making that happen here in Canada. And it's a pleasure to be on that journey with her. The last thing I will leave you with is a question that she offered for you to think about for yourself. What can you do with all the ideas and people around you to put yourself in the path of the ripple, in the path of impact by others, so you can take that impact and then make a further difference in the world around you? Have a great day. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review, or share it. I want to say thank you to one of my favorite bands, Late Night Conversations, for sharing their song Chaos with me and letting me use it in this episode. You can learn more about them on Instagram at LNC Connected. And here's more of their song Chaos to take you out. Stationary animation